Hello and welcome back to A Slice of Dice. In our fourth episode, I talked to Bart Crisp, who you will know as Brucon in the Meninglands campaign, our dodge tank come reformed frat boy but also a bit of a party animal on occasion dwarf monk. Bart is actually the only current member of the Meninglands campaign who I didn't know before the campaign started, and so we've had quite a lot to discuss and it was very interesting to talk to him and hear about his experiences in TTRPGs which span over the last 20 years. In fact, it turns out we have even more in common than just TTRPGs, like a shared passion for pork pies. More on that in a moment. So Bart, good morning. Um, good, good to see you. It has been... It's been a couple of months, hasn't it, since, we, uh, it's since been, we've been able it's to been chat? It's been a while. Too has, long. Yeah. Too long. But, um, For sure. Uh, how's things? I, I gather you've been pretty busy recently. Yeah, well, I started a new job uh, less than a month ago, so um, uh, getting uh, getting through, you know, to grips with all of that. And for me, um, it's it's very nearly a decade since I started in my previous job. Periodically, I nip down there and have uh, an amazing day in the um, their office, the office space of my new employer, which is directly above a kids' bookshop called the Hackney Literacy Pirates, which is all done up like a pirate ship inside yes it's genuinely yes. one of the coolest things i have ever seen in my life i'm I, I, I may never get over it it's so dope they've got like hidden reading nooks with like trap doors that you open to get into them and stuff it's it's so dope i cannot say enough positive things about the hackney literacy pirates if anyone is interested in a sick ass bookshop uh, for kids it feels like um it was designed from the description it was designed by some adults who were like oh i would have loved this when i was a kid and but i never got it and so i'm gonna make it live my dream i i, I cannot imagine it, it, it having gone any other way i i can uh, you know I'm, I'm very confident that that is exactly what happened and my my position on it is hell yes with the kind of a slight segue off of that actually of dream it do it make it happen like mm. in an ideal world sort of thing so we've got our ideal bookshop now what slice would you ideally bring to this interview if you could and why yeah it's um kind of saw that and i kind of went through this sort of little um uh mental fugue of going like what what things do i like can be sliced um and then uh, i realized that actually for me there can only be one answer to this because my mum's family my mum's maiden name is drake uh, and mum is uh, she she was born and grew up in a town in northwest yorkshire called uh, skipton uh, mm. and uh, in skipton is a uh, a butcher's called drake and macefield and the drake is it, it, that is the family drake we are i am related to the founder of drake and macefield uh, okay. and they make and i'm definitely not biased this is and i'm a researcher so you know i'm i'm, I'm very well practiced in uh in, in recognizing these things and being objective about it drake and macefield make objectively the best pork pies known to humankind Ooh. so so for me it would be a bit of drake drake and macefield pork pie lightly warmed um the you, pork one of the beauty beautiful things about pork pies is that they are almost as good cold as they are warm but i do like a nice warm bit of pork pie with uh a bit of um piccalilli or um horseradish uh or whole grain mustard 
anyway, something something with a bit of kick to it on the side, and then a bit of uh, a bit of nice homemade coleslaw. That would be that would be me right now if I if I could, uh, if I if I was sufficiently prepared. That's what would be happening right at this moment. Oh, that's that's incredibly tantalising. Um, so because um, obviously I think most people who've had pork pies will have had like cold pork pies from the yeah. you know from from the shop now. So yeah. pitch warm pork pies to, to to me and the difference between like why why you'd say it's probably why it's worth so, i think it's just that it's got that like for me pork pie you know apart from being just you know delicious and very filling there's also something quite sort of homely about it like it's you know it's it's it, it exists a long way away from the sort of you know the cordon bleu end of the spectrum of kind of like this is fancy and sophisticated and you know have our amuse bouche uh, and all of that stuff that's that, that I'm, I'm a big fan of that culinary mode but i also do like a nice homely bit of um uh, of just like oh this is it, just what i need like hangover food right for example would be you know if you're, if you're grappling with a hangover um then um you know you, you you want something that's that's uh you know you can just scoff uh and pork pies uh for me definitely fulfill that mode and i think i for me having them warm sort of amplifies it a bit it also makes them a bit easier to cut into um which okay. is good they're a bit less resistant um when you're if you've got a whole pork pie and you're like man this is a chunky beast but i don't i don't know that i want the whole thing if it's a bit warmer then it's easier to uh to turn it into a slice um so that's good i then also if it's if i'm having it with coleslaw and i do love having a cold cold uh, a pork pie with a bit of coleslaw um I, I i always enjoy when you get like a hot thing with a cold thing so when i'm having like desserts my favorite desserts are things like apple crumble or sticky toffee pudding and i have them with vanilla ice cream and then you're like ah super hot sugary ha ah! but then also the the coldness of the ice cream and there's a little bit of that same sort of juxtaposition that you get with a warm pork pie and a bit of coleslaw um and okay. uh yeah no it's just it, it, it's nice i mean i you know i eat cold, pork pies cold aplenty because i'm a big hiker and a pork pie is an excellent hiking um you know food food bit um because you just like bam there you are it's in a it's in a paper bag and then you just pull it out have chop a bit off scoff it energy for days um but yeah if i can if i'm if i'm at home and just kind of like man what i, I just really want to uh snack on a pork pie then yeah i'll usually uh warm it up a little bit my parents used to have an arger uh in their kitchen in their house in the lake district uh and uh it was frankly more trouble than it was worth overall but there's there's something really satisfying about wanging a couple of pork pies on a little ceramic tray sticking it in the arger pulling it out 20 minutes later and just like nom, 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 nom. so good have you have yep, you yep. ever um uh, so so uh, one thing that i have done when i when i was a kid definitely was a child i definitely wasn't an adult when this happened but you know the classic <laughs> eyes bigger than uh, eyes bigger than the stomach uh and i got think i got like a family sized pork pie family <laughs> sized pork pie and I wowzers could not, couldn't i couldn't get halfway through it it was ridiculous not, I, I have absolutely definitely uh bitten off in every conceivable sense of the phrase more than i can chew in the past i don't think i've ever done it specifically with a pork pie i think i've I, the thing is like when i get pork pies like around here uh, where i actually live um i don't normally like I, I do tend to get them from supermarkets i don't get them from fresh from my butchers um when i'm up visiting my parents in cumbria there's a butchers near there that they, they live quite near a town called appleby um which is quite famous because there's a um uh, a horse fair there every year where like um 
Gypsy Roma Irish travellers all like uh, convene on the town and have a big horse um, buying and selling convention, and also you know it's 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 a big sort of social event. And the Applebee, uh, there's a butcher's there that d- does uh, really chunky pork pies. But usually, if I'm having a pork pie, it's I've bought it from Sainsbury's as part of a little multi-pack thing. Uh, and then the problem just becomes I can't stop eating these pork pies. <laughs> <laughs> just constantly into my mouth. Yeah, <laughs> they're so conveniently sized. <laughs> I can't stop. Okay, so um, to to completely um, let's uh, shift focus because I could talk to you about pork pies apparently for for hours, um, but we do have uh, that isn't because the they're amazing. This... Yeah, they oh, are. Sure, amazing. yeah. Let's talk about let's, let's talk about let's TTRPGs. TTRPGs let's do it. How did you first get into TTRPGs? Like, yeah. how old were you? What was your first experience? So I would have been 14 years old uh, when I first encountered tabletop role-playing games. Uh, And the way that I encountered them is via another nerdy tabletop hobby, uh, which is tabletop wargaming. Uh, And and specifically, you know, to the the viewers who who are watching this who are are not sure if they're familiar with tabletop wargaming, you are almost certainly familiar with uh, Warhammer and or its sci-fi counterpart Warhammer 40,000. And that was my my gateway drug um, uh, for nerdy pursuits, really. Uh, A guy, when I was, before I was 14, when I was, uh, before I was even... Uh, 10 like kind of late in primary school one of my schoolmates um had discovered warhammer uh, and was kind of like you know was acting as the emissary um for the rest of us and sort of talking about it we were all rubbish at it because we were too young and we didn't have anyone to properly teach us how, uh, about it and how it worked and you know and as with many like primary school playground fads you know there was like a month where we were all like so into it and then you know moved on to the next you know pogs or yo-yos or whatever the whatever the next thing in the sequence was um but actually for me um there, there some fascination remained um and i and it, i kind of ended up going on the back burner for a bit but then a few years later i did uh, i i i randomly went past a games workshop um and kind of went oh yeah warhammer that was cool and then wandered in and got chatting with one of the um with with, with a staff member in there and saying like i'm you know i'm interested to know a bit more and he kind of like taught me through it all and 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 that spawned that that conversation spawned over a decade of me playing uh, the, uh an enormous amount of warhammer warhammer 40,000 and a bunch of spin-off games battlefleet gothic uh blood bowl necromunda uh and many more of these things besides and then a few others that weren't made by games workshop but but they really do dominate the space um so so a lot of that but because I, but i was playing warhammer with a kind of a local group of nerds in coventry which is where i grew up and one of them a guy called um so so his name was not dave but everyone called him dave because he hated his actual name and insisted on being called dave Word but there were like nine daves in our like nerd group wow. um so um, and they all had to be like dis- uh, differentiated so there was medium dave but there was big dave there was medium dave um there was uh skinny dave and uh, i can't remember all of them but the but the one i do remember is this guy whose name was not dave because we all called him undave because he isn't dave um you know in in the same you know not not alive not dead undead not dave not not dave undave um and he invited he he was you know we we were chatting and he kind of went he had he had started running a 
uh, or was planning to start, I should say, actually, a campaign of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Second Edition, uh-huh. which is the tabletop role-playing equivalent for War, set in the the the, the fantasy world of Warhammer. Mm-hmm. At the time, there were no 40, there were no official 40k role-playing settings. Since then, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, uh, and a bunch more besides have been released. But at the time, it was it it was Warhammer Fantasy or bust. Um, and and I enjoy, and I I played Warhammer Fantasy and liked it. Uh, so. He's, he asked me if I was you know, interested in joining in, and I kind of went, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And so we, we kicked off uh, a, a campaign, uh, and, uh, and very rapidly I was like, man, this, there's, there's something, um, you know, th- th- this is an experience unlike any other that I have ever had, um, and it's, uh, it's fun for days. Um, and, and I, you know, like a lot of the kind of, you know, that, that was how it was really great for me having. I was by, I was definitely the youngest member of that group, like by a reasonable distance. I think probably like a maybe ten or so year age gap between me and the next guy in the group. Um, like you know, I had a bunch of old senior nerds taking me under their wing and sort of showing me the ropes and so on. And so they not only introduced me to tabletop role playing and you know were, were familiar with it, so I was able to get a really good sort of grounding in you know things about it but also you know they established a bunch of you know the classic traditions about you know you you do it with snacks you do it for you know extended periods of time around the table having some kind of music playing in the background to kind of create ambiance um occasionally showing up in like fancy dress uh or you know dressed as your characters or 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 (laughs) someone in particular that you wanted to uh to show up dressed as I, i i got a really solid kind of initiation and grounding in uh in nerd stuff and then so that was how i was introduced to ttrpgs and then a little while after that um i was brought into a D campaign and was introduced to D for the first time by another member of this kind of nerd group uh in coventry that i was part of um and yeah it kind of all span out from there but then uh, so that was that was happening during my sort of my teens but then the thing that you know and i was having an amazing time and probably would have tried to sort of um find more about this kind of thing in the future but the other thing that really cemented it was when i went to university i joined the uh, so i went to newcastle university and at newcastle university at that time very possibly still to this day there is a um you know a board gaming and tabletop gaming society called questlands uh, and i joined that pretty much immediately warhammer having been quite a big part of my identity and you know they they, they were a, a bajillion campaigns of nine thousand different systems uh running at any given moment through uh questland so played D, played um uh, a bit of uh, Eberron played uh, a very cool steampunk system called Etherscope, um, which is extremely crazy but a lot of fun. Uh, played, um, I can never remember the name of it, but it came across this really bizarre post-apocalyptic uh, role-playing setting uh, that uses D&D the 3.5 as its sort of like rules starting point. Mm-hmm. Um but like, but the playable it, because it's a it's a, it, the idea is that it's set in the aftermath of a nuclear apocalypse. Um, shout out to anyone who's familiar with Fallout 4 Geordie Apocalypse, by the way. Um, yes, it is in the aftermath of a nuclear apocalypse. But um, so because like because of all the radiation stuff, like the playable races are things like sentient cockroaches and Twinkies uh, and like shambling piles of radioactive goo and stuff. It's really really bizarre. Can't remember what it's called. But anyway, so I, I got kind of you know i was mainlining different types of role playing uh, through that and that i think you know if if i hadn't had that as well there's a good chance i would have continued to be interested in tabletop role playing but you know other interests that i acquired at university might have maybe 
kind of shoved it to the side a bit more but because i kind of really doubled down on it at university along with other stuff like i was i was uh, part of the rock and heavy metal society at university and joined their exec committee and there was a fair bit of overlap between those groups because you know it turns out metalers and nerds are quite you know kind of kindred often kindred spirits not always but a lot of the time there's, there's uh, quite a large venn diagram sort of crossover isn't for sure there? Absolutely, there is. So, so there's a good chance I would have encountered it another way. But like, I was getting this, um, you know, like I say, kind of deep dip in 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 nerdery, um, and I've brought it with me ever since, and have you know gradually expanded uh, social circles uh, through it, which I'm extremely grateful for, and also have brought fr- uh, you know other friends into the fold and kind of you know one of us, one of us. Um, so, us. so brought them exactly. Joy- yeah, added the exactly yeah well, added added uh, added their distinctiveness to my collective um so yeah that's that that's that was my kind of role playing journey which I, I guess if you like from start to finish that's that's a uh, uh, certainly over 20 year time span if you count the warhammer period it's about, well uh, so it would be 20 years since i first encountered a tabletop role playing game So uh, you touched on, uh, and actually, it's something that I, I've I neglected to to ask too much with my uh, other guests so far. But I think it's a really uh, it's a really good area to delve into, especially for those who are curious about tabletop role playing games, perhaps haven't played them before, and they're thinking, "Oh, is it you know just about nerding out and you know Reddit forums of you know creating the most powerful character possible?" Like, um, but the social aspect of it and the sort of the yeah. the additional benefits to playing the game itself that you get i think it's a it's a really uh interesting thing to to uh, interesting topic to touch on and you said um so so yeah how did you find um that your experience through ttrpgs has influenced sort of other aspects of your life like you said expanded social circles for instance um yeah, yeah what, what can you speak more to that I mean, that kind of is the main one, really. Like, you know, and and for me, tabletop role playing is first and foremost a social activity. Like, you know, the 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 creativity and expression of it, the role playing, the the um, the meta gaming and systems thinking about systems are all things that I uh, I do get a lot of enjoyment from with with tabletop role playing. But at the end of the day, the thing that made it powerful and makes me keep wanting to come back and do it pretty much indefinitely is that it provides it's it's really nice to have a uh, a pretext for getting together with other people it kind of it, it smooths things uh, out and you know i'm 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 very extroverted so from my perspective up to a point at least i'm always up for hanging out with people that i like um you know i've got a a very i've got a big kind of um driver to do that um but it get you know like if you just kind of like okay let's all just you know go and be around each other and you know talk about our lives and stuff it can be especially if a lot of your friends are nerds who in my experience do tend to be a bit more on the introversion side that that's a bit sort of like exposing and um and, and a bit full full on uh, and high intensity and pressure so uh, you know it can it, it's not necessarily always the best way to handle a social gathering but if you've got a, a pretext for being there you know Board gaming would be another classic example of this kind of thing, um, and you know there's there's many more besides. Um, 
but uh yeah having having some kind of pretext for for engaging in it is 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 really helpful and and the other thing for me is that like the collaborative atmosphere that you normally i won't say always but normally get uh around a, a role-playing table um has a particularly lovely dynamic to it because you're like there's a little element of competition often because everyone's kind of like trying to spot their opportunity to do something cool or or you know set up a funny gag or um you know uh, just you know throw us a, a chaos spanner directly into the heart of the of the clockwork or whatever it is so there is a a little bit of a competitive element but it's not it's not a zero sum competitive element what you're competing for is to bring joy to the rest of the group not to beat other people um which is one problem with warhammer um and things like um you know magic the gathering in card games is that you are fundamentally there to try and defeat and you know to you know one one of you is going to be a winner and you know one or more of the rest are, are, are not going to be winners uh which is a little bit more tricky as a social dynamic um but with with tabletop role playing that's not an issue at all because you know the 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 people you're in competition with are these imaginary folk that your games master has has, has conjured up for you. Um, so that's really cool and satisfying, and I get a lot out of that. And then also, I think that the one other thing I'd say about what I get out of TTRPGs, other than you know the kind of the the, the direct stuff, is that um, the the, the role playing itself. I mean, you know, you're an actor. You 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 you. I'm, I need no telling about this, um, but it is definitely good to develop muscle memory around like going into a role and um and exploring a space in it and so on and for me there's something particularly uh, interesting and, and helpful about that um and actually occasionally it's something i sort of in a very roundabout way where i kind of mutate it a lot it's actually something i kind of also get use of in my job because uh one of the things that i do in my job is is do training for people i i i, I run professional development sessions for teachers and other people who work in education and being like um you know the, having patter is quite useful like you know you, what, what the the last thing that i ever want when i'm doing that is to be just reciting a dry dull list of um of, of things to people that, that you know here, here's some information you need to have congratulations you now have the information we're done here I, the, 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 my absolute nightmare no, I, I avoid at all costs uh, operating in that way i always try to bring it to life to people i try to make them um see stuff from different angles uh and i do think that role playing and actually in particular dming because the because the dming is where the performative aspect the, the performance aspect of the the process i think is most kind of near the surface yeah. um that that gives i i'm able to get a lot of like juice and uh and also like i say muscle memory mm. out of that process and kind of you know redeploy that in a different context so uh like i i would say that you know zooming out at the sort of maximum level i think the thing that you get out of tabletop role playing is just um a, an insane amount of experience of interacting with with people in unusual contexts and there's a lot of value to that like the first time you you do something um is is tough and scary and you know there's a good chance that you're going to have some missteps and so building up a, a, a body of expertise even if it's drawn from entirely imaginary fake things um that in stories that you're telling with friends 
it's still experience it still works and it still helps you kind of anchor onto that stuff uh even if you're not like I, I, to be clear i'm never like doing a training session and going this is like the time that we in- encountered a uh, a bugbear it's not like it's not an explicit connection but i definitely do think i, I definitely think that there is like a um uh, a melding a merging of of kind of processes and experiences that comes out of that which is very cool and and very helpful so yeah like social ex- expertise and experience mm. um you know in in a in a a good well organized campaign with with good people who are trying to get the right things out of it you know the 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 less positive version of that i guess and i've had this happen a little bit but i've been very fortunate to have it happen only a, a little you also can sometimes end up getting experience of dealing with really unreasonable and difficult and problematic people, which is less fun, but actually still quite useful to, to acquire experience of. But it does, you know, it, it, it compromises the role playing experience a fair bit, but mm. still handy. Yeah, get, dealing with um, sort of difficult conversations is a, is yeah. a difficult, is a skill in itself. So It's an important again. skill for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. In um, life, uh, in professionally and just in your life. Indeed. I think we've skirted around this because we've got a broad mm-hmm. sense of, of of your entire journey from when you started in wargaming to now. But throughout that period, can you share with us some of your most memorable moments uh, in in those games? The, 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 thing, the thing about this, I was thinking about this a bit. One of the best ones isn't actually a moment I wasn't actually at the table for, but <laughs> heard about. Um, because... Um, I played in a campaign that was DM'd by a very good friend of mine, a guy called Dan, Dan Case, and he came up came up with his homebrew setting and a concept for a D&D campaign, and then found himself in a position where a whole bunch of different people wanted to try it out, and he wanted to run it. This was his first ever time DMing, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but he you know it wasn't able to kind of turn this into one large group um for for mostly for geographical reasons so what instead he ended up doing is running the same campaign twice in parallel with itself so um so he had two different parties with the same setting and the same kickoff point and the same overarching plot okay and then but then they ran alongside one another um it's real and he's doing it again now actually he's, he's just kicked off another campaign in a different homebrew setting and again he's running it concurrently for two separate groups uh it's not like a policy he has it's just how it's tended to work out but uh, it is it is kind of funny to me anyway so in the in the context of this campaign um the the kind of the big bad was a uh i can't i'm afraid i can't remember the names it's been a few years now but uh the big bad was a was a wizard who who wanted to bring back actually do you know funnily enough i think you you might find this you you might be going this is copyright infringement because it is a wizard trying to bring back an ancient and powerful uh, dead dragon shameless plug um, I mean, was, it was it the, seems like it's a trope. <laughs> it, is, it is a little bit of a trope, yeah. Uh, there was, a, there was that was that was the kind of the brass tacks of it. There, the, the lot more difference in detail around the edges uh, that made it very different to the Red Mage situation. It was much less political than um, than what I've encountered with your incarnation of this. It was, you know, basically a necromancer rises. Like it was, you know, it was more like something plucked from 
the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, where a necromancer rocks up and starts invading with uh, hordes of the undead, and you know his goal being ultimately to assemble the magic rocks and go to the right place, and boom, undead dragon rises from the grave. Um, and the final showdown took place in this kind of you know the, the sort of dragon tomb thing, which had a big pit. Uh, that were down which the actual dragon itself, the, its corpse, could be found. But you, you, the the encounter happened at the uh, ledge at the top. You know, a bit of a Mount Doom scenario, right? Mm-hmm. And our, the way things worked out, our group. Uh, I, I, actually, I will tell some, a story about our own experience with that um, that encounter because it's another it, one of the most memorable moments that I have been in the room for happened there. It was a very good campaign, um, but in this other campaign. Um, in in the one that was running in parallel to us, mm. um, the group just so happened to have acquired a uh, I think it's a ring of levitation. Um, it's a, a magical item that gives you a ten foot per round fly speed. Um, and the the kind of the the deal with this final confrontation was that there was a ritual, and then um, the uh, a, 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 a sacrificial victim would go into the pit. And their death was what triggered the return of the dragon. And in this other group, um, the the ritual was completed, and the person went over the side down into the pit, the sacrificial victim. So you know, it looked like the wizard was about to was about to get what they were shooting for. And uh, from what I've been told, and I've heard this story a fair few times now, the group's halfling, um, who I think was a rogue, but I might be mistaken, um, turned to the party barbarian and said two words dunk me and so the barbarian picks up this halfling two hand overhead throws them down into the pit uh, and they go down they grab the sacrificial victim activate the ring of levitation and then very slowly fly back up out of the pit thus preventing the um uh, the, the the ritual from succeeding and the and the wizard to, from getting his um thing but i just love that it was just like uh, you know instead of kind of like, okay guys i've got a plan it's just like dunk me and then just boom straight into the pit um so that's pretty good funnily enough another very memorable story i have about my own role playing comes from the exact same encounter in my own in the campaign that i was in um it's a bit more tragic but more drenched in pathos i guess um so i was playing a paladin in that campaign i was playing uh, archibald mulch r.i.p um uh, so the deal he was he was a dragonborn who had been you know it's a kind of a classic orphaned as a child um and then raised by halflings uh um so uh so he he spoke with a broad west country accent uh it was a very sort of cheerful cheeky chappy really he was a very positive outlook on life um <laughs> did archibald but also would go around hitting people really hard with a hammer and then uh divine smiting them and, and all that so so that was a, that was a lot of fun and i just fairly recently leveled to the point uh, I can't remember what level it is, maybe six, but anyway, the point... Oh yeah, by the way, this is a 5th edition campaign, right. uh, D&D. Um, but I'd level to the point where you get the, the Paladin gets the aura that um, boosts save, uh, everyone else's saving throws. Oh, yes. Well, your, your own and everyone within 10 feet of you boosts their saving throws. And in our version of this fight, it didn't maybe go quite... Like, in some ways it went better than the other one, but that kind of made it go worse. And so the the mountain that we were in was was collapsing and like huge chunks of rock falling out of the ceiling and uh and i had my my character was basically like had gone down and been brought back up but was on like 
one it was on like five hp and two failed death saving throws or something like you know it was it was it was getting really down to the wire and all these chunks of rock are falling out of the ceiling and there was a, a character stood near me um uh the party ranger and the way the rolls worked out i basically uh, archibald basically ate enough damage to insta kill him um uh failed failed the saving throw uh to, to failed a deck saving throw and ate like 96 worth of damage or or, or more probably uh, a lot uh and and dan, i could see dan uh, the dm kind of going and i and i you know he was kind of going i don't know what and, and i kind of said to him dan mate if my character dies that's that's totally fine don't don't like uh, angst about it and i could see him kind of go okay I, you know i he, he was it sort of gave him license to go with the where he he could see it having to go but the as a result of the saving throw buff aura that my character had the ranger standing next to me did pass his dexterity saving throw to not get crushed by a giant rock and the way we ruled it is that archibald like grabbed him turned to him and, and i can't remember exactly what i you know the, the parting words were but it was something like it was something like <laughs> you hear me going west country just at the end there just yes. just in preparation but yeah <laughs> um but he said turned and sent some something along the lines of don't give up never give up and then th just like bodily threw him out of the way yeah. um and that was how we ruled that the because it was genuinely like it was only because of the of the aura that he, that he passed the decks yeah. the, the deck save um so we're, we're all cut like i won't say we were all in like tears or anything but you know we were all like oh my god this is nuts it was it was very similar to you know the brolly incident the flesh brolly incident uh in in our campaign uh which if you are watching this and have not seen go back and watch it watch through slice and dice and get to the flesh brolly incident can't remember what episode number uh, it is it's, it's uh, like it's session 14 uh of session 14 it's a very My long time ago God. we were in person. Uh, it was early so ago. long ago. Shameless plug! But it was, yeah, this is a similar thing where it's just kind of like, oh my God, we, the, you know... There's that comic um, about someone kind of like parodying the way D&D campaigns start versus the way they end, where it's like level one is like, I'm Boffo the clown um, or, or whatever. <laughs> I can't remember what the, the, the you know, is it? but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a bard, but I use only uh, all my weapons are like water balloons and oh no, slappy. That was it. it was slappy the clown uh, as in slapstick. <laughs> And it's like session one i'm slappy the clown and then you get to like session 42 and they're like the, the adventurers are desperately racing out of the collapse collapsing tomb and the party's like water janazi goes up to sl like slappy's there supporting this like um this falling roof and the party's water janazi uh goes up to him and goes slappy and he goes get out of here man you gotta go and she's like slappy i and he goes i know i've always known and it like it, and it was properly like that like when that campaign started it was it was you know like you know, we're here to have a lot of good time, and also, most—I was the only person in that group who had done role playing before. Everyone else was kind of like, "I have no idea what's going to happen here at all." And then, you know, fast forward however many sessions it was to take us to that point, and we're all kind of like, just super there and invested in the moment. It was—it was awesome. I have—I have a number more, but those—those those are the two, and uh, that that sort of stand out the most to me. And I particularly like that they have that meta link of being in you know sort of alternate versions of the same story yeah that's that that's really interesting and it must be a, and for you like an interesting point of comparison between the two because obviously they, they are comparable because they're the same setting so it's ah. and it must be also equally fascinating to see what tangents each group went off on because you know it was really fascinating point, yeah but, 
um human psyche or you know however the dice roll or whatever that pushes them in whatever direction yeah um for sure i mean it was dan who really got to like do the 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 side-by-side comparison but um you know he and i would chat about it because it was his first time dming and, and he knew that i'd done done a bit of it before mm. um and you know he's kind of like okay no spoilers but i'm you know exploring this concept you know are there is there anything you think i should be aware of are there any like pitfalls i'm i'm setting myself up for or anything and i'd chat with him about it and then he and he would give me he would tell me you know particular things that were happening in the other campaign because there was no like uh, the only overlap between those two campaigns was him running them so um you know i i would get uh, descriptions of particular things and and yeah you know he would kind of after the fact again without kind of like giving away spoilers although he knows i'm i'm experienced enough not to use meta knowledge um uh, in that way but like yeah it, you know he would kind of go yeah when when you guys kind of really picked up on this one clue the other group completely breezed past it um and just uh went off and did their own thing favorite sure. character concept that you have yet to try i've got yeah uh, i like this question I, ha- I actually have a bunch um so uh but but the one i'll, I'll go with so yeah. this this is in the context of a funnily enough another campaign that um dan was running um uh, my, my friend dan uh, spent a lot of time in the last decade playing dungeons and dragons with this guy um and uh, and this one was one that i wasn't really in a position to be a full-time pc in um so but i did you know he kind of went fancy coming over and you know doing a sort of you know the occasional guest appearance uh or something and i was like yeah that sounds great and he kind of went okay how do, how do we work this in terms of like you know the character creation and how it works in the storyline and, and we kind of sat down and tried to figure out how a pc that wasn't you know that might just sort of vanish at any time mm-hmm. um uh with not necessarily with a lot of warning how might that work and what he decided was basically that like a it was a it was essentially a like a sliders uh or quantum leap kind of situation where someone like he suggested like basically you you create a character and then the way i'll rule it, it, uh, it, it you know a character from somewhere else and the way i'll rule it is that you know they become subjected to a magical affliction that causes them to like periodically be magically teleported in but and then okay. they might then get snapped back out again without any any warning or control over it um so there was nice. a sort of random okay. element and I, and I went okay sick uh, and then what i ended up doing was creating four different characters and what i did i created another an, another adventuring party that was off doing its own thing in parallel with the the, the pcs of the campaign dan was running right. and would randomly pick which one of them got accidentally sort of like snapped out and in, and dropped into um the scenario and i and, and i got to play most of them but the character that I never got to play and really wanted to, and I almost kind of built the whole part, the part, the my parallel party around, uh, and you know, with every other character that got beamed in, I made a bunch of references to this character. Oh. Uh, the character is Boffo the Magnificent, um, who is a, sh- a changeling wizard, and um, uh, an illusionist and con man. Um, so it's kind of like a more. For, for, uh, you, I'm not sure if you're familiar, Jack, but some viewers may be aware of uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, which is the actual play campaign associated with Penny Arcade, um, which is a webcomic. And uh, Jim, uh, no, uh, so yeah, James Krahulik, 
um, aka Gabe from Penny Arcade, has as part of Acquisitions Incorporated, his character is Jim Dark Magic uh, um, of the New the Hampshire Dark Magic. Magic missile, isn't it? Jim, Jim's magic he, missile. Yes. So now he's become canon, uh, official canon in D and D. He's yeah. In in, in um, they, they released a source book that adds, but not ju- not just Jim's magic missile. Um, but but Jim's magic missile is one of them. There's another one that's really powerful. Can't remember exactly what it's called, but it basically lets you, um, like edit someone's memory of the last couple of seconds of a conversation that you're having with them. Oh yes, it's so that. powerful. Like it's 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 outrageously powerful as a spell. Really cool. Um, so so Boffo the Magnificent was kind of a take on what he was doing there with that character. But Jim Jim's folk Jim Dark Magic's focus is. Like he's a raging egotist, but mainly his focus is on, um, like, uh, self gratification and kind of you know having fun, living in the moment. Um, he's, he's kind of a bit of a giant toddler. Boffo, I decided to make a bit more of a kind of. Like he's he's I've got his character sheet open here actually because I've saved it on my PC. It says a chaotic good. I think that was meant to be chaotic neutral um, because he's much more about like total self gratification at all times and is, you know, like I won't say uh, less good of a person exactly, but just much more like self interested. Not necessarily in like narcissistic ways, but just like you know, uh, he's he's. I wanted to play the kind of character partly because I never play this kind of character. I wanted to play the kind of character where, in any given risky scenario, there's a maybe 60 40, 40, uh, 60, 40 or even 50 50 percent chance that they just turn tail and leave. They're just like, I no, I'm not into, I'm not into interested in being part of this. This is very scary and dangerous. I'm not here for it, and just leaves and the rest of the party just being like bruh um i i kind of wanted to have a go at that and i and i was okay with doing that like that would be very i, I wouldn't i wouldn't try and play a character like that in an ongoing campaign i wouldn't have that be a character archetype that i was doing week in week out from session to session but in this particular context where you know there's a de- there's a one in four chance that this person turns up at all um, and even when they do show up, they're probably going to go away again, you know, very, very rapidly thereafter. I was like, that feels like a fun element of chaos that I can insert into the scenario without kind of like, you know, creating too much dysfunction within the group. Um, and and more broadly, even if I'm, I, I would probably, if I was to bring that character back and do it in a, a long form campaign, I would definitely tweak it a bit. Um, but the idea of, um a wizard with a strong illusionist streak who's kind of like a uh you know a snake oil salesman mm. which was also part of the the, the character of boffo the magnificent uh, and the name is a is a is a reference to two bits of media that are kind of about that um that i do like you know because normally you know the stereotypical wizard in D D is you know a, essentially a power mad lunatic um and um so like so you know, critical role calamity. Um, ex- sorry, Exandria Unlimited calamity explored this really well. Where they're like, look, what happens when you have a pow- uh, you know a society composed mainly of super powerful mages? Well, they're going to start doing some really dangerous stuff and probably cause a uh, you know a, a worldwide catastrophe that kills like th- two thirds of the pop- entire population or something. Um, and I quite like, although I'm I've got a lot of time for the kind of the hubris of of that. 
I do quite like the idea of playing a wizard that's really much more got much more base motives and just like I'm just here to make a buck, man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I look, I can make fire shoot out of my fingers at will. That feels like something I can make a pretty sweet stage show out of. Um, you know, and 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 do some, um, you know, some interesting stuff there. So that was kind of going more for the. It was basically like, what if a bard accidentally became a wizard i think is maybe say, yeah. maybe part of the character concept that i would bring back would be something along those lines it's a bit of a, a bit of a charlatan but it, and in a a fat boy slim kind of why try harder kind of approach <laughs> yeah that, yeah along definitely along those lines finally mm. uh, it's time for the random question chart Yes, I've been here. You've got uh, a D12 ready to go. Passing my D12 from hand to hand. By the way, I, I've um, repped these before, and I can't remember the brand, unfortunately, but check this dice out, yo. Oh, that's it's a beautiful a cloud, dice. It's a cloud design. Yes, you've so got like, blue, blue on the bottom, and then the white and the clear on the top is in above yeah, the cloud. Yeah. Line. It's just, so just for sick. Our, our podcast listeners, the little description there. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, sorry, yes, I didn't. No, yes, no, no, it's okay. That's point. what I'm here Apologies. for. Apologies, but but yes, it's a yeah, it's a it's a cloud um, uh, setup uh, for a dice, and it's so beautiful. It's so pretty. Right, uh, a twelve-sided die. I will roll it now and tell you what yeah. the number is. The number is a four. Four. What's your go-to TTRPG character? Oh, I don't have one. I, 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 I do not have a go-to TTRPG character. I, I always... My approach to rolling up a character is always um, what's the what, what's the dynamic that's emerging in the in the wider group uh, and what... So, so I always do two things when I'm creating a character. One, I find out what are the, like, what are the unfilled gaps in the in the party dynamic. Right. From a combat perspective, you know, are, are we okay for tanks? Are we okay for support? Are we okay for DPS? Are we okay for control? If one of those is, is looking a bit undernourished, then one of the things I'll immediately do is go, okay, I'll play that. Um, but then I also kind of look into things like um you know are we are we well stacked with um you know grim sour loners uh, and therefore maybe what we need is someone who's more of a kind of a social binding agent mm-hmm. um uh, i think or maybe you know that we've got loads of like sociable people and what we need is is someone who is just um you know relentlessly focused on their thing um uh, you know the, the, their personal goal um uh, to kind of um you know spice things up a little bit not in a not in a um not not when i say spice things up i don't mean like disruptive i just mean to add another angle to encounters right. and events and decisions that are being made so so the, the first thing i do is that and then the second thing i do once i've got an idea of what the sort of broad parameters i'm working within in terms of combat role and general kind of narrative function is um i try and find some sort of unusual spin uh, on something so with brucon it was fairly straightforward i was like why not a dwarf monk? Like that's an that's an, that's an unu- you know unusual race class combos are always uh, you know uh, something I'm gonna uh, give give uh, a look at. You know halfling barbarians are a um, uh, or, or gnomish barbarians are a, a, a um, you know a niche but well worn example of this kind of thing, and and you can do some really sick stuff with them actually. Um, uh, so sometimes it's an like I say an, a novel race class combo. Um, I also once I came up with a barbarian. Um, druid once sorry no uh, a goliath druid right. um 
that was uh, that was pretty crazy because their, their passive perception was twenty one or something nuts, uh, just because of the way I'd like stacked various abilities and things like, uh, and and a, and a feat. I can't remember. Which, I think it was observant. Yeah. Observant. Um, but anyway, there was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so their passive perception was truly insane. Um, uh, and and that that's another character I'd love to bring back actually because they I, they were a stone shepherd was their idea they're, they're like they're doing exactly what druids do but instead of in like a, a you know a, a forest instead they're doing it in like you know very high mountains yeah. um, so they're all all their like spells and their choices about wild shaping would all have been appropriate for someone living in the mountains um, so that's a that's another example of doing that but then sometimes it won't necessarily be a an unusual race class combo it'll be some other like um you know unusual you know less well trodden path i try and avoid on the whole going for like straight archetypes that you know have existed in in tabletop role playing forever uh you know I, i'm not i don't i don't have any problem with anybody doing that but for me one of the ways that i find satisfaction playing ttrpgs is by um uh, throwing together an unusual combination of elements and and find and observing what emerges from that and I and I, I really I find it very satisfying to, um, you know to to do a lot with things that don't seem like they should, um, be, uh, you know effective so the, you know a bit like the kind of um, you know some of your stuff around don't believe the hype um, where yeah, it's like look, you. yes it's not necessarily like optimal in a fight to have you know this particular you know subclass of monk or, or or whatever or monks at all actually people are very down on monks these days i notice uh, there's a lot of meta commentary and I, and i and i get why but like stunning strike is so powerful um that uh like and even you know people go oh well you know legendary resistances and it's like if you're up against something with legendary resistances you definitely have more key points than they have legendary resistances so you know and even if their constitution saving throw is pretty solid if you just spam it at them, it's probably going to end up shutting them down for a round. And at that point, things just start getting bonkers. So, um, but yeah, like just because there is a, there are failings in the combat um, performance of a particular build doesn't mean, because it's a role-playing campaign. Like if it, again, this comes back for me to the, like the, the tabletop war gaming, I was and am much more like, um, on board with the sort of meta reviewing and, and you know the crunch um, considerations and discussions in um, uh, in tabletop wargaming because like I say it's a more like you have an objective which is to win but what does winning look like in D&D having fun so yeah so that's yeah sorry a, a very rambling answer to your question but no, no, it, kind of, it, it, uh, it touched on a lot of different things that I think and do about um, D&D um, so, so, so I think it's a pretty good question. No, that was a that was a, a very good answer, and I um, because bef actually upon asking, I was thinking, is this a, actually a very good question, and should should we get rid of this? But actually, no. But I think you, your answer has convinced me that uh, whilst I might tweak the wording of it very slightly, I think it's quite uh, it, it spawned quite an interesting uh, interesting discussion or an interesting um, viewpoint from you. So, so thank you for that. That's great. Um, okay, so I think no that will about do it uh, for today, uh, Bart. As yeah. I knew it would be great to get you on to uh, have a chat about stuff because I know, you know, 
um you're uh, to be fair are fairly verbose i can give you something and you'll run with it um and i don't need to work yeah. too hard to get information out of you you can <laughs> you know i definitely uh, have, I have verbal diarrhea real bad and always have done yeah but it, hey it, but it's it's perfect for this kind of uh setup and it was very interesting actually to to hear yeah i i i think i'm as a as someone who studied history and is very passionate about it i do think it's it's you know kind of useful to have an idea of where things came from Definitely. even if you then use that to go somewhere completely different so it's not and it was nice to um to sort of chat and think about and reflect on um some of my experiences and my perspectives and i've gotten a really good uh dming idea out of the discussion so yeah really enjoyed it yeah. thanks for thanks for having me on man you're absolutely welcome and uh, uh if we don't uh, speak in this format beforehand i guess uh, i will uh, speak to you in 2023 when we'll pick up the campaign again Yes, indeed. Uh, have uh, have a cracking time uh, overseas and uh, looking forward to uh, nerding out with you more at whatever point that happens. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, I've, uh, and one last thing that these discussions get me excited for when we uh, pick up the campaign again, like just, just getting all that enthusiasm. So thank you. Same. Hard same. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of A Slice and Dice. If you've enjoyed what you've seen, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. We really do appreciate your support. And of course, if you'd like to get involved in any future interviews, whether that's being a guest yourself or suggesting uh, some options for our random question chart, join us on our Discord server. There should be a link to that down below.